Welcome to IFA Talk, IFA Magazine's weekly podcast. IFA Talk is for professional investors only. Thank you. Today, we will be speaking to John Porteous, Managing Director of the Central Financial Services Division at the wealth management firm Charles Stanley. Thank you very much for joining us today for the latest IFA Magazine podcast. My name is Sue Whitbread and I'm editor here at IFA Magazine. And joining me on the podcast today is my colleague, Rebecca Toombs, who is junior editor here at IFA Magazine. And today, Bex and I were really excited to be talking to John Porteous, managing director at wealth management firm Charles Stanley. Uh, I've known JP for for many years, I think we could safely say. And uh, we're really keen today, JP, to find out some of the, the innovative initiatives that you're leading with the, the aim of trying to close the advice gap. So welcome to IFA Magazine. Thank you, Sue. It's lovely to be here. John, as Sue said, thanks so much for coming on. Um, so I'm sure most of our listeners will already know who you are, but for those who don't, can you tell us a bit about yourself and briefly about the Central Financial Services Division? What's it about and how's it going so far? Sure, thanks. So um I've been in financial services for about 30 years. Uh, It feels like a blink of an eye. Um, For most of that time, I've been in or run advice businesses. I've also run platform businesses as well, um, led consolidators. And now I'm at Charles Stanley uh, running a portfolio of businesses. It includes their asset management business, their digital businesses. You might have heard of Charles Stanley Direct. That's one of the businesses that I run. And also a new set of businesses that we've put under the heading of our foundation family of businesses, which include One Step, which is our new hybrid business, which is about helping people who find themselves in the advice gap, taking that first step um, out to inform themselves and get more comfortable about financial planning related topics. But perhaps we might go on to talk about that a bit later. Mm-hmm. Yes, well, as you mentioned, the advice gap there, um, and it's sad, isn't it, that it's still the case that so many people are excluded from getting the benefits of professional advice. But should we start then with asking you, why, why does it matter that we as a profession work harder to try and close that advice gap? Well, I think it's our legacy, Sue. You know, I, I remember um, RDR coming in and us all preparing for that. And, and that was the first time we'd, you know, as, yeah. as a profession that we'd really started to talk about the concept of propositions. You know, it, it's all around us yes. now. Yes, yeah, know, it was. Yeah, and that was 10 back, years ago, wasn't it? Well, longer, wasn't it? I mean- Yeah, um, yeah, and, that's true. When you know, first, yeah. So we started to try and think, okay, how do we build something coherent? What What is our, you know, unique selling proposition or unique value proposition or all, all these kind of buzzwords that, that, mm-hmm. that sort of came around. And I think, by and large, the, the, the profession's been really successful at doing that. You know, businesses generally have embraced technology really well. I think it would be reasonable to say that the overwhelming majority of practices now combine um, a CRM, a platform, and overlaying financial planning tools pretty efficiently, and, mm-hmm. and that forms the heart of everything that they do. They, they operate through that technology. Mm-hmm. And yep. it's incredible to think, you know, you, you cast your mind back pre-RDR, kind of how manual a lot of those processes were. But I think mm-hmm. one of the byproducts of this has been too many people needing advice for too few financial planners out there. Yeah. And of course, demographically, 
you know, we've got a lot of people approaching the point of retirement, a lot of people choosing to sell their business, um, a lot of consolidators seeking to consolidate the business on the back of people wanting to retire, but not enough people coming into the industry. And my God, you know, I, I chaired SOFA, what, 22 years ago, and we were still talking mm. about that as being the clear and present mm. danger to, mm. to the profession as a whole. And, but I really feel it's coming to a head now. Mm-hmm. that's good actually I'm glad to hear it yeah yeah and, and and I think you know one of one of the byproducts as I said of, of that is great businesses are pushing themselves up and up and up and supply and demand is meaning that they're mm-hmm. starting to find themselves in a position where they're saying well these are minimum fees these are minimum assets to to have a point of entry into our proposition mm-hmm. because they can mm-hmm. um, and also it's reflective of the cost base that advice businesses carry you know, we all know that the cost of regulation is, I think many would argue, disproportionately high. Yeah, yeah um, you, you only need to look at the employment markets to see that the, the value of um, properly trained and skilled paraplanners and properly trained and skilled chartered and certified financial planners has gone through the roof. Mm. Um, and, and I think, to be honest, it would be naive to look at the global economy and inflation coming through the pipe now and to assume that the financial planning profession will be in some way immunized from those cost rises too yeah yeah that's a really good point actually i didn't even think about how it might affect the industry in particular more in terms of like think products necessarily that you buy but it's so true all services going to be affected yeah it's the it's the rising tide that's going to lift all boats and if you put all that together then you really create this advice gap. Yeah. And I think it is quite important to make sure that we're clear about it as being an advice gap because it's not a transaction gap. You can go no, online no, and transact your, your heart away yeah. for a fraction of, of whatever you want to do. Yeah. But I, I, what I think is dangerous about this advice gap is it creates a, a vacuum. And into that vacuum, you get cryptocurrencies you mm-hmm. you get uh, youtube influencers you get social media talking yeah. heads yeah day trading day absolutely oh. and people aren't Very. regulated they're not held yeah. accountable they they they're couching everything in the kind of get rich tomorrow but, yeah. but really if you don't then it doesn't come back to me and the thing that concerns me about the advice gap therefore is not that people don't have an execution venue to go and buy their eyes at, Mm-hmm. But where are they going to go to to get like well thought through, experienced, reasoned advice, and actually stop themselves from doing the really stupid things? Yeah. Because I think when most advisors really say, "Well, what value do I add?" If if you caught them at a moment after a dinner and a glass of wine and said, "You know what what what's what real what difference do you make?" You know, a lot of them will talk about you know some of the great financial plans that they put in place, but more I would argue would talk about the the big mistakes that they've stopped their clients from making. Yeah, yeah, definitely, definitely. And, and just going from my perspective, like a lot of people my age, I'm seeing it all the time. Even friends of friends who are obviously maybe intimidated by going to see an advisor or maybe don't have the funds, I'm not sure, but they get all of their advice off these like influencers on YouTube and they watch videos and they go down that route, all the social media kind of angle. And it's scary because I'm like, who are these people? who are advising are they just people mm. like me just random people like who are these people and people invest loads of money in them they take their advice yeah it makes you spot on i mean i i we we call our target market 
uh, post Google pre-planning mm -hmm. because yeah, you know good. everybody's interested. Everybody's sitting there on a Friday night when they're done buying stuff off of Amazon, looking at things. And also, you know, as a planner, I would imagine the days when somebody comes to sit down with a planner, not having looked up what they want to try and do on the internet is gone. You know, people are coming yeah. half educated or fully educated, but not knowing the context. And that's pretty dangerous because the planning profession, I think aces out, it's an A1 gold star in providing context. So, you know, when I first met Sue, the, the, the thing about financial planning as a profession, and I'm going all the way back to those um, heady original days of IFP and conferences on, on yeah, yeah. board tables in Robinson Hall in, in Cambridge. Yeah, we were alone voices back in those days. Yeah. <laughs> um, but, but, you know, that, that was all about knowledge. You know, people, yeah. you know, we, we kind of know a bunch of stuff. Now, knowledge is completely commoditized. You're three clicks away from finding anything you want to know. I mean, I'm never, I'm the world's worst person at DIY, but I'm only one <laughs> YouTube video away from being like masterful at anything. The fact of the matter is, it's about context. It is yeah. all about context and matching that knowledge with the hopes, dreams, aspirations, and, and feelings of, of the individual clients that, um, that, that we serve. And I think that that's, that that it going back into the advice the advice gap bring it back to that I think that's the bit that's missing it's that context piece. Absolutely. So obviously this is a subject that's close to your heart and you've got some interesting projects underway. So could you talk us through what's going on at Charles Stanley to try and close that advice gap? Yeah, I mean I was really lucky um, at the beginning of lockdown to to bump into an old friend of mine, Lisa Kaplan, and Lisa is. <laughs> as you may know, um, and many of the listeners might know, was um, running the advice side of Nutmeg. And the opportunity mm. came to where we could work together at Charles Stanley. So we, we kind of grabbed it with both hands. And Lisa and I worked, started working on a concept that we started, that, that, that when we started out, we called Foundation Financial Planning. Um, and we've now rebranded that to One Step. So we ran it for a year internally within um, uh, Charles Stanley for the last year. And what was really fascinating was rather than kind of do the podcasts or do the front page of, of, of all the, the media outlets, we decided that, well, we'll actually run our service, but we won't talk about it. And we'll listen. Mm -hmm. We'll really, really listen to what our clients tell us. Mm -hmm. And after every client interview, we do a client feedback session to build up a compendium of their feedback to create almost like a trip advisor advocacy thing. And, and now after you know, a, a really, really, really substantial set of clients going through the process over the last year. The thing that we've come out is we understand what clients want more. Mm -hmm. We understand how they want to engage. We've got a much better feeling about what clients value and therefore how we can actually triage really quickly so that, mm -hmm. you know, we can sort of say, do you know what? This might not be the service for you. We can introduce you to a better conversation. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Because I think that that's the other thing. It doesn't matter how good you think your proposition is. If you take somebody through the wrong client journey, it, it's going to be a car smash no matter what price you put at the yeah, end. Yeah, definitely. That front-end triage is like massive. Mm. Uh, and, and also to your earlier point, what that enables us to do is to take all those learnings and apply that to a much more powerful social media campaign. Because as you know, with digital yeah. marketing, 
the more specific and authentic you can be in your messaging and the, the tighter into your target audiences, um, the more effective that can be. So, so we found that we've got like a, a really clear bunch of target client audiences. So one is under 55 and non-advised. Mm -hmm. Two mm -hmm. is uh, what we call the segmented and disenfranchised. So those that perhaps used to have um, 100, £150,000 in a portfolio, for example, and they've been segmented out to the perimeter of a firm's yeah. proposition model and, and they're just getting nothing. Yeah, they're lost. Yeah, yeah absolutely, Sue. Lost. Lost in space. Mm -hmm. um, we've got uh, clients who are execution only. They're experiencing turbulence in the markets and need what we would call XO plus, just a bit more color around it. Uh -huh. You know, yeah. Houston, we have a problem. I, I need to speak to, to, to somebody. Mm -hmm. And then the, the final point is uh, life event triggers. Yeah. yeah. So people are triggering through this and they quite often come from work site so you know a lot of their core financial planning needs or the building blocks rather of that are in place so they've got death in service they've got phi they are contributing into a pension uh, so you've got some basic building blocks but you hit a trigger could be mm -hmm. buying a house could be inheriting some money it, it could be it could be marriage it could be divorce it could, you know all those sorts of things yeah. And it's back to my central point about context. It's like, yeah. okay, great, but my head is full. What I, I understand what's happening, but, but what does that mean? Help me unpack this. Can you simplify it? Um, and a lot of our conversations, when I watch the video playbacks, because we do all this online, it, it's amazing the extent to which, you know, the old adage of how do you eat an elephant, you know, one bite at a time. Please <laughs> out yeah. Because so often, the client kind of knows what they need to do, but it's just like so much information, so confusing, so overwhelming. Mm -hmm, yeah. Really what you're just doing is unpacking it and putting it into coherent order of actions. And then people can decide, okay, I'm either going to go off and do my thing, you know, and self-serve and, and sort it out myself or alternatively, yeah, you're right. I probably now need um, more detailed financial planning, but exactly as you were saying, Bex, they were probably too intimidated to leap straight mm -hmm. into that. Yeah. But now having gone through this process, they sort of say, yeah, actually, I, I now totally get the fact that I need to go and spend some serious money on that because the downside risk mm -hmm. of doing nothing yeah. is now way, way, way beyond the fees that I might pay to do something. You are listening to IFA Talk, IFA Magazine's weekly podcast. Subscribe to us on Spotify and Apple Podcasts to be notified as soon as a new episode becomes available and follow us on LinkedIn, Twitter and Instagram at IFA Magazine. Uh, that, that's like you say, that the, the, the con that's why the context of advice really matters, doesn't it? Because it just puts that framework that people can't automatically see. So that all sounds really good, JP. Um, I wonder then if we could take that onto the next level where advisors may be listening to this and thinking within their own businesses how could they extend the availability of advice of advice to a greater range of people so would you have any tips for what can they do to break to help break down that advice gap well the first thing i mean it's a brilliant question the first thing i would say about that is that people's businesses are so unique yeah. so unique that 
the way that you would do it would be ultimately about the kind of proposition you've got, how you've grown within your community, what your clients expect from you, mm. kind of, you know, and, and, you know, you could, you could say businesses are the same, put them together, dr- you know, drill into them a bit and find out really fundamentally they're very, very different in the way that mm. they go about their business today. So first of all, I would say, look, be authentically you. So whatever you're doing, mm. yeah, good tip. be authentically yeah. you. Secondly, you might have some people that go, look, really good point, Sue, but I don't really care about the, the advice gap. You know, I'm, I'm shooting for whales. I'm, I'm not running around looking at the other end of the market. But what I, what I would say is there's a number of reasons where, why I think you shouldn't allow the advice gap to grow unchecked within your own business. One, because those clients that are at the perimeter of your business, the ones that we're talking about, you know, the segmented and disenfranchised, um, mm-hmm. that disenfranchisement can turn toxic. And if you're not actually servicing people and drawing them back to your message, yeah, either, very you true. Them, either you lose them when they become the kind of clients that you really, really want, or that toxicity can actually turn against you and turn into complaints. Yeah, yeah not the first time mm-hmm. I've, I would have seen that. Um, the social media influence will turn into an influencer to your own advice gap to that next tier. You know, you, you don't need to, to have the kind of smile that you can see from orbit um, to, to, to sort of be a social media influencer because you can target it and produce um, videos that are aimed at your own client bank. It doesn't have to shoot onto a social media platform and go 85 different ways. Also, intergenerational risks. If you really want to be relevant to that next generation, you have to be speaking to them. Yeah. Now, you know, the, the thing is, if people like me, I mean, I'm 51. As much as I convince myself to the contrary, I'm a dinosaur now, you know, um, and- I'm Not that I'm I, agreeing with you, JP, but yeah. But yeah. <laughs> you know, what, what I do I is um, the people that run my digital businesses and are responsible for the budgets and the growth of that are half my age. And I empower them because they know how to speak to people like them. I don't because the generations, how, you know, how people think about the environment, how people think about what advice feels like. I mean, for younger people now, many of them feel that advice is like going to the dentists. Yeah. Yeah. I'm scary. Yeah. Mm. Yeah. You've got to factor that into to your, you know, your, your thinking. So you've got that intergenerational thing that if you really need to appeal, you need to kind of think about, you know, how am I talking mm. into that? Um, and provide, provide natural triage, because if you want these clients ultimately to form part of the future of your, um, of your, of your business, because that's the next generation of wealth that's incubating and coming through, yeah. it's a lot cheaper to engage and pull them through in a reasoned and sort of uh, controlled fashion than yeah. it is for them to suddenly find that you're in a bit of a turkey shoot with other firms trying to battle out for their soul because whilst they've been in your client bank, actually the brand that's had the most resonance with them has been their bank. Yeah, it's true. Especially yeah. with internet banking. You know, yeah. you think about it, it's a lot easier for us to engage with our banks on an app now with internet banking than it is with our advice firms. Yeah. No matter how yeah. good a platform is, the platform hasn't used big data and um, it, you, you know uh, the, yeah. the whole ability to to mobilize um, banking in the way that that space has on a on a wrap up. Yeah. It's a bit more static the technology. So you've got to think. I think about that. Um, 
I would say if you put all that together, that, that suggests to me a real significant cost of doing nothing and ignoring the gold under your own feet. So I would say that that's the case for why you do something. What you do, well, you could you could tread in the footsteps that, that we've gone in where you build a proposition which is specific at these clients, hmm. or you could just be much more, as I said earlier, target, um, targeted with your communications. Yeah. Or you could run some events. I think the first generation post RDR thinking was that gold, silver, bronze kind of proposition and yeah, yeah. kind of covered yeah. everyone. Um, I would say as a bare minimum, whatever your bronze is, I think you need to rethink bronze. Mm, good tip, yeah. In a nutshell. Yeah. And I guess, as you're saying in those communications things, there's a risk to their businesses of their existing clients and that wealth when something eventually happens to those clients themselves and it passes on to the next generation. If they haven't engaged there, then mm-hmm. what's going to happen to that those assets? It's going to walk, isn't it? Because the 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 inherit the people who will inherit it will not have that connection with the business. Well, you're right. I mean, I actually think one of the great misnomers um, around there is that you know we we talk about this great wall of money and the great mm. intergenerational wealth transfer, and for sure it's there, and for sure it's great. But the thing is, until you actually put yourself in the shoes of that next generation, Mm -hmm. you'll sit there and think, well, hold on. My client was a multimillionaire. Therefore, my client's children will invest their multimillions with me, too. Well, actually, the vast majority majority of them will have to pay inheritance tax at whatever blended rate, because I'm sure they'll have taken good advice and there'll be a a suite of mitigating actions, but probably some degree of inheritance tax, then I would imagine the next generation will probably turn around and go, great, I'm going to pay off the mortgage and change my life. Yeah. yeah. Mm -hmm. And then because that that younger generation are also much more, they're they're less materialistic and more experiential. Yeah. They're probably going to spend a lot of money on experiences. Mm -hmm. And then the net, 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 net of all that is what you've got in the pot to invest. Mm. so i do think we've got to kind of figure that one out as well no good tips good tips definitely (laughs) so shall we finish up then with one last little question Bex? yeah definitely so it was just um in terms of changing the industry if you could maybe highlight one thing that you'd like to see different and potentially Oh, sorry, I've muddled up. Well, let me start that sentence again. Sorry, Brandon, that's for you to edit that bit. <laughs> do, we have, do we have the exact the exact question anywhere, Sue? Yeah, yeah. Um, I don't, I don't, don't shall I ask? Shall I ask? Yeah, it? go on. I sorry, did, I, I did email it to you separately. But... Okay, so JP, we're going to round off then by putting you in a tricky situation now. And we're going to suggest that if you had the power to change one thing in the financial services profession today, what might that be? Do you know, um, th- there's a short answer and a slightly longer answer. So if you'd indulge <laughs> me just for a moment. Um, I sat on three trader professional bodies in my career. Mm. and I've seen, I, can, I can vouch for that firsthand. Yeah, and I've seen <laughs> all these people who are so, so, so much smarter um, than I am and so much successful, that so, so much more successful than I've been wrestling with these questions. Mm-hmm. 
And yet, you know what, fundamentally, nothing changed at the industry end. What actually changed was from the regulatory end. You know, we've been yeah. kicked down the street, yeah. regulatory push rather than industry pull for a variety of reasons. Mm. But over those years, the conclusion I've drawn for right or for wrong would be if I had a magic wand that I could make a transformational difference, having been in the inside of all those rooms, it would be to get the FCA, mm -hmm. the ombudsman, and the professional indemnity insurers mm -hmm. all in the same room and figuring out how they are going to join up and communicate with one another. And nobody mm -hmm. leave that room until they've figured out how the industry can truly innovate and thrive without the fear mm -hmm. of retrospection. And if yeah. I could do that, I would bet my bottom dollar that we would start experiencing explosive growth, technological ground up innovation, and we wouldn't need to talk about the advice gap going forward. Mm, it's quite a mind blowing concept and whoa, wouldn't it be amazing if we could succeed? Well, I can only wish you wish you well with that, JP. <laughs> anyway, I think we're gonna have to wrap it up there now, but John, thank you very, very much for, yes. for talking to us today. I've really enjoyed it. And I can't help Me but too. think that, that we're going to be talking about this subject for many more years to come. But we also have to thank our listeners for tuning in today. And I hope that you've enjoyed it as much as, much as Bex and I have. So, John, thank you. IFA Talk is for investment professionals only. All material has been carefully checked for accuracy, but no responsibility can be accepted for inaccuracies. Whatever appropriate, independent research and whatever necessary, legal advice should be sought before acting on any information contained in this podcast. And value of investments and income from them can go down as well as up. You may not get back the amount you originally invested.